Welcome. This is uh, actually week number three in our series that we're calling Chasing Carrots. And, and listen, just as we start, uh, I want to ask you to do something. First of all, big shout out to our Poughkeepsie campus. We love you guys, our Valley family there meeting at Regal Cinemas. Maybe you're joining us on our online campus as well. Uh, I, I'm just going to ask right now, whether it's in Poughkeepsie or our online campus, I, I just want you to like make sure, it's probably happening already in Poughkeepsie, but make sure you're in a distraction-free environment, especially if you're joining us online. Because I, I think this message today as we continue this series, Chasing Carrots, this has the potential of not only changing your family, but changing your family tree, what we're going to be talking about. Impacting your marriage, if you're mar- your kids, if you're not married, your marriage to come, if, if that's what the Lord's plan is for you, for generations, what we're going to be looking at today. And so I just want you to focus in and just take in. We're going to be looking at a pile of scripture. I want to ask you, just go ahead and open up your Valley app. Uh, It's going to save it there for you. You'll be able to fill in the blanks, but you're also going to be able to look back uh, at these notes. And as I said, this this has the potential, this message, to be a game changer, not just in your family, but in your family tree. And and here's the reason why I say that. Billy Graham is credited with this quote, uh, the great evangelist, the greatest evangelist in modern time, Billy Graham. He put it this way, and I believe this is 100% accurate. If a person can get their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. If we just have the right perspective, the godly perspective, the biblical perspective on money and finances... It'll straighten out almost every area of life. That's why Jesus talked about money and possessions so much. That's why the Bible talks about money and possessions so much. Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about heaven and hell, prayer and faith combined, all combined. And it's, it's really, really a huge deal. Uh, and we need to get this right. And, and so this whole series really is about helping you find financial freedom. And here's the reason why I think it's so important, and I know sometimes it gets awkward when we talk about money or finances in church, and I think the reason for that is most of the time, pastors talk about money because it's something they want from you. They want you to give more. And instead, the whole approach we're taking in this series is, it's not something we want from you, it's something we want for you. We want you to experience financial freedom, and you can. And again, it's a pastoral concern. Instead of what you can do for us, this is what God wants to do for you. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from being generous. We love your generosity. Just even this past week, you, you know, uh, uh, my administrator uh, here on staff, Judy uh, Sheck, was just saying how incredibly generous uh, the Valley family is. And that's so true. And of course, we have this big project coming up, and we just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. Whatever God tells you to do, just do. Just, just give. Because here's the thing I believe. People are not so much stingy as they are strapped financially. People aren't just stingy. They're strapped financially. And the greatest way that I could serve you as your pastor and as our pastoral staff and team can do is to help you find financial freedom according to God's word, his direction. It works best. Think about this for just a minute. Try to wrap your head around this. 61% of all divorces in America cite financial problems as the cause of the divorce. 
61% of divorces in America. 61%. Financial pressure is why we're divorcing. And, and so Billy Graham was totally right about this. If, if a person can get their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. And if you look at the reverse of that, when we don't have the financial picture straight, you know what? We're in trouble. Our marriage is in danger. Our, our relationships, our perspective, every, it's, we're, we're in trouble and we don't even realize it. How close we're dancing to just real, real major, major problems. And so the first thing that I think we have to ask the question is this, how did we get here? How did we get here? What I want to do in our time together, I want to look at a parable that Jesus talked about, and this is one of the ones that has to do with money and possessions. But even more than that, it has to do with the heart behind it. You may know this story if you've been in any kind of church for any length of time or, or you know, reading the Bible. Maybe you've even heard a little bit something about it. It's, it's the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. The parable of the lost son. And, and I think it really gives us some incredible truth that you and I need to embrace. We need to understand, we need to embrace it as we unpack it today, and then we need to walk it out. And, and so go ahead, open your, up your Valley app, if not uh, your Bible, and we're going to look at it on the scripture screen here. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 16 is Jesus is telling this story to highlight a principle, highlight biblical truth, eternal truth. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So he had two sons, and the younger one says, I want my inheritance now, dad. And, and, and think about that, how insulting or offensive that is to the father. He's like, I'm not waiting around for you to die. I want it now. Give me, give me. Give it to me now. I, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for someday. I want it now. And so he divides his property between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. There's so much in this story. I, I'm, um, there have been whole books that have been written just about this one story that Jesus tells. Volumes and volumes written. Because this, this is so... Uh, could have put it pregnant with treasure and truth, uh, godly treasure and truth in this story. And so he squandered his wealth in wild living. It goes on and it says, after he had spent everything, he spent it all, his entire inheritance in a short amount of time. There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Stop right there, listen. For you and I, the reality is this, famines are going to come. We like to pretend like they're not. That's why we handle our finances like everything's always going to be perfect. But the reality of life in this world is there's always going to be famines. There's always going to be storms. And that's why it's so important that we have financial freedom. Because storms come and they happen. And we need to have a financial plan of what we're going to do. He wasted all of his money, spent everything that came to him, and then here comes a famine. And here's the amazing thing. I think sometimes God allows those storms to come into our lives. Because he doesn't make them, but he allows them. Because sometimes he knows it's the storm that's going to get our attention and bring us back to him. Watch as Jesus goes ahead. 
and tells the rest of this. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Now, you would think since Jesus is Jewish and he's telling this story that he's speaking to Jewish people. I mean, think about how awful this is. This is the worst occupation for a devout Jew as possible. Feeding pigs. Feeding swine. He's, he's got the worst job imaginable in that culture, in that day and age, biblical times. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He found himself literally in a pig pen. And the reality is, for many of us, our finances are a pig pen. Total disaster. Courageous and, and financial pressure building, building, building day after day. And, and this is a process. And, and here's the thing. This message, this, this message, we're looking at it in terms of financial freedom. But, but you know what? This is in terms of every kind of freedom in our lives. Emotional free, freedom from any kind of addiction. Freedom from harmful relationships. You, you can follow these four stages that we're going to look at that really this younger son of the father here, he, he followed these four stages and found himself in a pig pen. The first stage is this, we believe a lie. We believe a lie. He, he believed a lie and was like, you know what, I deserve, I, I, I deserve this now. Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm not going to wait around for you to die. It starts with we believe a lie. I, I found this study, this is just crazy, uh, this study of America is called uh, The Day America Told the Truth. Look at this survey, what the survey results were. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? What would you be willing to do? This, the question was asked for $10 million. These are the top responses. Look at this. 25% said abandon their entire family for, for $10 million. I just say goodbye. They'd never see me again. 25%, 23% said I would become a prostitute for a week or more. For $10 million. 16% said they'd give up their American citizenship. 10% said we'd withhold testimony letting a murderer go free for $10 million. In other words, all more, think about this. The morality is all based on money. If I had more money, if someone gave me more money, I'd do whatever was necessary. Now it really, really... Uh, it gets creepy at this point. 7% say they would kill a stranger for $10 million. As, as long as I don't know who the person is, I wouldn't kill a friend because, after all, I have morals. But, but I would kill a complete stranger for $10 million. And, and then here's the last one. 3% said they'd put their children up for adoption. And I know some of y'all, y'all are doing that now because there, there's always folks that, like, we have to remind them, you can't leave your children in the nursery overnight, you know, on Sunday. Go pick up your kids. You know, some of y'all practicing that. You think it's a month-long camp, you know. See you the first Sunday of the month. Buy kids, and you pick them up the last Sunday. That's not the way it works. Don't do that. You see this? So, so $10 million, what's the, what's the price of your morality? How much does it cost for you to compromise your convictions? This, this is crazy, crazy stuff for $10 million. See, I think when we get right at the root of it, 
when we talk about financial pressure and, and, and why we get into a deeper, deeper hole, we keep digging, trying to get out, and we're digging a deeper hole. There's a reason for it. God calls it pride. Pride is what the younger brother had. I want it now, and I'm not willing to wait. Pride. Pride. I'm old enough to remember there used to be a day and age when I can remember mom doing this. She'd go to the store and go Christmas shopping, and then she'd take that card up, and this would be like, say, September. She'd take that card up to the line and, and to a special counter, and she'd say, I'd like to put these things on layaway. Layaway. How many of you remember the days of layaway? And that was when you would make a, you'd put a down payment down and you'd make a monthly payment until you paid off the whole bill. And then when you paid off the whole bill in full, sometime like the week before Christmas, you, you would go to the store and they would hand you all this brand new stuff that you had bought, toys and gifts and all that. Nowadays, it's just credit cards. So think about it. What do we do? We just lay down the plastic to get what we can't afford and by the time we pay off that plastic for most folks, it's broken, forgotten, and we, some of us, we don't even own it anymore, and we're still paying on stuff that we bought 12 years ago. Because we've got that younger brother, I want it now. I can't wait. I can't have any discipline. I want it now. It's pride. Pride. Pride, pride is the root of every sin in the world, pride the root of all sin, the mother of all sin. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, the Bible says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is always the first step in the wrong direction from God. Pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit. Haughty just means proudful, arrogant spirit before the fall. So the stage one is we believe a lie. Here we are. Stage two, we engage in self-destructive behavior. We engage in self-destructive behavior. Let me put it this way. Mismanaged life always leads to self-destructive behavior. A mismanaged life. When we don't have discipline, we don't have a plan, when we don't follow through, a mismanaged life always leads to self-destructive behavior. And, and we say things like this. I just can't help myself. I deserve this. What harm could it do? This, this, is, this is the language of pride here. I just can't help myself. I just got to do it. I deserve this. I, I'm owed this. What harm could it actually do? This is the language of pride. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, the Bible says, there's a way of life that looks harmless enough but look again, it leads straight to hell. That's, that's what God says. There, there's a way that seems right to people, but in the end, it's total destruction. Total destruction. So stage one, we believe a lie. Stage two, we engage in self-destructive behavior. Stage three, we isolate ourselves from those who can help. Because of pride, we can't ask for help. We don't go anywhere. We, we keep it secret. We keep it hidden. Stage three, we isolate ourselves from those who can actually help. And, and, and again, the language, kind of the thought process in stage three here is like this. I don't owe you an explanation. 
People just don't, under, they don't understand how difficult it is for me, personally. No one understands. I, I don't need them. I can do it on my own. That's stage three. We isolate ourselves from those who can actually help. Proverbs 18, verse 1, the Bible says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When we isolate ourselves. Jesus didn't isolate himself. He had a group. He had a small group. I, I don't isolate myself. I've got a small group that I share my life with, a small group in this church. It's so important. Who, who are those that you allow into your life that can actually know what's going on in your life and that you ask for help? You seek their help. You seek their wisdom. Because if you don't have that in your life, if you're not cultivating that in your life, chances are you're isolating yourselves from those who can really help you. You're probably in stage three in some area of your life. And then stage four, we find ourselves in a really, really dark place. We find ourselves in a dark place. In Psalm 88, verse 8, the Bible says, You've made my, you, you have made my friends to loathe me, and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. And that's what it feels like in this fourth stage when it comes to financial pressure. I'm all by myself, I'm all alone. There's no hope, there's no way this is ever going to change. It starts with believing the lie, and then we engage in self-destructive behavior and decisions. We isolate ourselves from those who can help, and then we find ourselves in a dark place. And listen, I want to dedicate this message today to anyone and everyone in the hearing of my voice right now, whether it's in Poughkeepsie, at Regal Cinemas, or you're at home, maybe on your couch, with your feet up on the coffee table. This message is dedicated to anyone and everyone who feels like there's no hope in your marriage, there, there's no hope in your morality, there, there's no hope in your relationships, there's no hope for you financially. That's a lie. That is not the truth. With Jesus, there's always hope. And so if you're, you're feeling hopeless today, right now, my prayer all week long as I've been preparing is that after this message, you'd hear the truth of God's word and it would fill you full of hope, that you would become hopeful instead of hopeless. And so let's look at now the way out. There's a way out. The way out. How do we get off the, the spinning wheel? You know, just, just like we see in that bumper for this sermon, that, that we're on that just spinning wheel going nowhere fast and the carrot's just out there and we can't get off. It's so important that we realize Psalm 34, verse 18, the Bible says, The Lord is near to those who are discouraged, He sees those who have lost all hope. First thing we need to understand is this. Jesus sees you right where you are, and he loves you. Right in the middle of the, the financial stress and pressure, right in the middle of the compromised morality, compromised convictions, right in the middle of the relational, just severed relationships and broken relationships. 
The Lord is near to those that are discouraged. He's near to you. He sees those who have lost all hope. I love what the message translation, how it puts 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, all you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you, to help you come through it. He'll never let you down. He'll always be there. It's never too far. That's the reality. That's, that's why God is so good, because you and I can never go too far to be able to come back to him. It's never too late for a God who can raise the dead to help you and to bring you hope. That's what God does. That, that's why we serve a God who's active and involved and wants to help each and every one of us. He's not distant, aloof, and angry. He loves you, he loves me, and he wants to help. That's what happened to the prodigal. Let's pick up the story again about the lost son and see what happens. Remember, we left him off. He's in the pig pen. Is a Jewish guy feeding pigs, and, and, and the pigs are eating better than he's eating. And then look at what it says, verse 17 of Luke chapter 15. And this is so key. Watch this now. When he came to his senses. See, for, for some, some of us, sometimes it, it takes losing it all. It takes sleeping with the pigs in the mud hunger in our bellies, and then all of a sudden, the light comes on. And that's what happened here. When he came to his senses, listen, let me just say this, for, for many of us, moms, dads, you're, you're worried and you're concerned about your kids, one of the best prayers that I know that you can pray for your kids that are not walking with the Lord, Lord, do whatever you got to do, bring them to their senses. Do whatever you have to do, release whatever you have to release in my child's life. I trust you to bring them to their senses. That, that's a prayer of love and compassion that a parent has for their children. Whatever you got to do, Lord, bring them to their senses. Because watch what happens when the son comes to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And Jesus goes on. Telling the story, and it's the words of the son. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And the story goes on. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I can't read this story without feeling these words. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You, you know what that means? It's like every day the father woke up and he's just standing on the front porch looking. Today, Lord, is it today my son's going to come back to me? Is it today? Lord, I trust you. Bring my boy back. Doesn't matter what condition he's in, just bring him back to me. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. This is God's heart for you. 
and he ran to his son. He didn't wait for his son to get to him. He didn't stand on the porch with his arms crossed saying, I told you so, it's about time. The father ran to the son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This is our heavenly father's heart. That's why Jesus is telling this story. When we squander, when we waste, when we ruin what he's put in our hands to manage for him, this is the father's perspective. There's always hope. He's always there. And he runs to us when we turn to him. It goes on and it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That was his plan. And some of you know the rest of the story. We're not even going to cover the rest. But the father says, no, you're my son. And he didn't treat him like a hired hand starting at ground zero. He treated him like the, the conquering hero coming home. And he blessed him. Threw him a big, huge party. See, what's the way out? Looking at this pattern of this parable that Jesus told, what's the way out when it comes to financial pressure? First thing is this, acknowledge the reality of where you are. You can never get help until you acknowledge where you are. He realized, I'm, I'm in a pig pen feeding pigs. My, my, my father's hired hands have it, all, have it better than me. First, we have to acknowledge the reality of where we are. And that means being honest. That means being truthful. Psalm 51, verse 5 and 6. Psalm as David wrote this after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He put on parchment his prayer to God. And look at what he says here. I've been out of step with you for, for a long time, in the wrong since I was first born, before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. See, God wants us to be honest with him. The first step in getting out, getting off the wheel, that's going nowhere. If we do what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always gotten. As I said last week. The first step is that we have to acknowledge where we are. We've got to be honest. We've got to be truthful. See, God's not looking for perfection, but he is looking for the truth. God's not looking for perfection. He knows we're going to blow it. That's one of the most liberating truths in, the, in, in all the creation. God knows we're going to blow it. When we do, he wants us to be honest about it. He wants us to be truthful. That's what David said. You require truth from the inside out. From the inside out. God's not looking for perfection, but he is looking for truth. He is looking for honesty. That we come clean. Here's the second thing that's so important. Not just the truth, but also develop a plan of attack. You and I need to develop a plan of attack. Just like... The prodigal did. Remember, he said, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And I'm going to say, can I have a job? Can I be a servant? You and I are never going to find release from financial pressure unless we develop a plan of attack. 
We have to develop a plan of attack. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, the Bible says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and they suffer for it. The simple people or the foolish person does what they've always done, gets what they always get, and then blames God for the result. So if you've been a, a, a member of Valley Christian Church for you know, a few years, part of our small groups, you'll know we give everybody, it's kind of a perk of being in our small groups, uh, we give everyone access to Right Now Media, uh, which is really like Netflix of Christian resources, and uh, it literally has hundreds and hundreds of resources about biblical finances right there on Right Now Media. And, and strategy and actual plans that you can actually learn and then implement that are going to make a huge difference. And I think for many of us, we didn't even realize literally a click away, signing in and a click away, it's available to everyone. And that's part of why we encourage people to join our groups, because we want to resource you to, to really fulfill everything God's planned for you, walk in the freedom that God has for you, and we do that also so many times in small groups. In January, we're going to actually have some financial small groups where people come together and we, we say, you know what, we all could learn, we all could get better at this, and, and, and we'll be able to grow and find freedom, not just in thinking new, but actually walking out an action plan that's going to help us as we develop a plan of attack uh, to really tackle our, our finances. And most people don't even realize this, but once you get a plan together in terms of like credit card debt, consumer debt, uh, you know, if you just really tighten the buckle, it's amazing. You tight the um, you just tighten the belt. It's amazing. In just a couple of years, two, three years or so, it's amazing the freedom that you can find, sometimes completely eradicating that type of consumer debt like that. And, and so uh, we want to help. We're here. This is something for you, not from you. Uh, we're here to help because we just want everyone to find freedom in every area of their life, relationally, physically, emotionally, financially, freedom. That's what really Jesus is really after. He came to give you and I freedom that we can fulfill God's great and awesome plan for each and every one of us and for our church. And, and so just four things in terms of a plan of attack, four statements that really have helped me through the years. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have never had, like, uh, again, you need a plan. If you didn't have a father or a mother, your parents didn't show you how to handle finances in the right way. They don't teach this in school. They're not talking about personal finances. We need more of the kind of classes like that, especially uh, in, in the public schools and like junior high and high school. But here are four statements that are so important that'll just help you frame financial decisions. Are you ready for it? We're gonna put them all up at one time. Debt is bad, savings is good, giving is fun, and stuff is meaningless. You can just evaluate every financial decision in your life through this. Debt is bad. Savings is debt. This is consumer debt like credit card debt. Debt is bad. Savings is good. Giving is fun. And stuff is meaningless. Those four statements. Listen, teach it to your kids, parents. But, but don't just teach it to them. Let them see you make decisions like that based on those four truths. Debt is bad. Savings is good. Giving is fun. And stuff is is meaningless. And, and already, just by implementing those four truths in your decision-making process of your finances, you begin to attack that financial pressure, and you'll begin to find a difference. So acknowledge the reality of where you are. Number two, develop a plan of attack. Number three, do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. 
Do it now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. The Bible says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I, I've heard it put this way before. I think it's so true. Today is yesterday's someday. Today is yesterday's someday. People say all the time, someday I'll get out of debt. Someday I'll start to save money. Someday I'll be more generous. Today is yesterday's someday. Do it now. Do it now. Don't, don't put it off. Do it right now. That's why we're doing this series not in January when everyone's racked up even more credit debt. We're doing this series in November, hopefully, to spare some hurt and some pain and some additional stress. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do it now. And then here's the fourth thing, the fourth step, if you will, of, of walking out of financial pressure and finding financial freedom. Humbly ask your father for help. Humbly ask your father for help. You know, I love that story that we looked at, the parable of the lost son, because the father doesn't condemn. The father doesn't judge. The father doesn't say, I told you so. The father is there to help. And Jesus told that story so that you and I would begin to greater understand our Heavenly Father's heart for each and every one of us. That's the Father heart of God. He's not going to heap condemnation and guilt on you. He's not going to say, you're, you're a failure, you're miserable. He wants to help. We have to humble ourselves and ask for help. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 7 it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor on the humble. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I, want, I just, I just want to humble myself every day and get the help from God, get the help from others that I need because I, I, I am not a perfect person and I need God's favor. I need his grace upon me. God opposes the proud. He puts roadblocks in their way. He makes it difficult for them. He stands against them. He, he stands against proud pastors even. Proud billionaires. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor on the humble. So here's the whole thing. Humble yourself. It's, it's all throughout Scripture, it says humble yourself. You, you don't ever want God to humble you. When God humbles somebody, they never recover. We have to humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And then watch this. So many times you've probably heard this verse before, but you didn't realize the context was about humbling ourselves before God and, and resisting pride. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's the context of that verse. Cast all your anxiety upon him. What is that? Ask for his help. Ask for the help from other people. Humble yourself. And, and I just, every day, I make that a regular part of my personal daily prayer time. I say these words, God, I just humble myself before you today. I don't know what I'm going to face today, but I know you already know every single situation and circumstance that I'm going to face. It, and I humble myself before you, and I receive your grace today. No matter what happens, to walk in your grace today. I need you, God. I encourage you, make that part of your daily prayer and walk that out by asking for help 
and seeking help. And what I want to do right now is I just want to do that exact thing. I want to pray. So would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just hear our hearts today. There's so many of us, Lord, that, that really our marriages are suffering and under incredible pressure because of financial decisions that we have made. We've, we've made for ourselves, and now the consequences are coming. Lord, we need your help. We've, we've made a mess of things. So, Lord, we ask for your grace. We, we seek your help, Lord, to handle our finances in a way that, that would reflect your priorities in our life, in your way, because your way works. And, and so, Lord, we just acknowledge the reality of where we are. God, give us the wisdom, if it's through Right Now Media or other resources, Lord, available to us to make a plan of attack. Lord, to actually not just think new, but actually do new, take action today, now, and Lord, may we walk out in humility before you because we don't want you resisting us and opposing us for our pride. But Lord, may we humble ourselves before you. And as we humble ourselves before you, we ask for your help and the help of others. Lord, we also just cast all of our anxiety upon you. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. And thank you, Lord, that you're that, that father who doesn't wait on the porch. But when you see us turn back to you, you run to us and embrace us. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you an opportunity today, whether you're watching online or at our Poughkeepsie campus, if you've never taken that first step of humbling yourself and turning to Jesus Christ and receiving him as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can turn around. It doesn't matter. It's, not, it's never too bad. Life's never without hope for the one who can raise the dead. And that's God. So if you've never done it before, I want to invite you. Just repeat this prayer after me. Open your heart up to Jesus right now and receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's why he lived. That's why he died a sacrificial death. And that's why he rose again from the dead because he loves you and cares about you so much. That's the heart that we also see in our Heavenly Father. And so just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I receive Jesus Christ today. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Jesus, I ask you today, lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward, and I will follow you. Amen.